Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Not like we actually really went anywhere, but we are one day closer to dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. Formerly known as the Vanilla Godzilla, forever known now as the Lobster Godzilla. Jason, do you want to tell the dozens why that is? Well, you know, the Vanilla Godzilla, that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, my skin has been, you know, this alabaster white for at least two years. And, um, you know, because of COVID, you couldn't get out in the sun. You couldn't do anything. You just had to stay locked in your little, either your work box, your home box, your car box. But you were not allowed to get out of the fucking box. That's for sure. And, uh, no, I made it a point this summer when James wanted to go swimming, we're going fucking swimming. And, uh, he wanted to go swimming today all day. So we did. And I was probably out in the sun for about, oh, I mean, really, because I try to stay in the shade, it's probably in the sun for about two and a half hours, and I will now pay for it for two and a half days. So the Vanilla Godzilla is actually in his Red Hulk phase, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice shade of red, but you know what? I haven't felt sunburnt for so long that even the sunburnt feels pretty goddamn good. It's kind of like a fuck you COVID burn, you know, it just, I don't know. There's something about being in the sun and actually feeling like you're it's summertime and you got that little burn going and a little bit of skin cancer cooking. And you just like, Hey man, we're back. This is good. So yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, life sees your fuck you COVID burn and raises you. Fuck you. Skin cancer. <laughs> hey, it's okay. At least it's a different fuck you. Well, there's always plenty of fuck yous to go around. If there wasn't, we wouldn't have a show, my friend. Uh, right. Why are you so against the concept of sunscreen? No, I use sunscreen. I did. You 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 need a refund, goddammit, no, because no, no. where did you use the sunscreen? On your pinky finger? Cause... I, I used it in the parts that get used. Never mind. Well, I'm telling you what, this was just a good day, and I enjoyed it. I'm going to continue to enjoy it, and we'll, we'll go from there. But I am bound to determine to get some sort of motherfucking pro wrestling tan again, like I used to have 5, 10, 15 years ago. So this this is fucking happening this year. I don't care what I have to do to get it. But To, um, spray, it, to spray it on, brother. No, fuck that. No, that's uh, it's fake. It's I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So doing you do care thing. about what you have to do to get it? Well, yeah, I'm not going to do that. It's got to be, you uh -huh. know, odd natural in a way. But at any rate, uh, thank you for noticing. You see, I'm wearing my nice tank top because it's about the only thing I can fucking wear. Put uh, some pants on. God damn it. No, there's really, that's about all I can wear. So, uh, yeah, but uh, it was it was a fun day, nevertheless. So is there anything uh, you would like to open our show with? Any feedback to go over? Anything that you would like to uh, regal the dozens with as we start our week? Well, yeah, there's a couple things. The first thing is I just uh, wanted to to uh, give a good shout out to our friend out there, John Collins. He's, he's doing good work out there. Uh, we did a podcast called The Cult of Personality which uh, quickly became our most listened to podcast we ever did. It, I mean, within something stupid, like two weeks, it, it uh, just shot to the top. He's our heavyweight champion right away of podcasting. And uh, it is about uh, John Collins actually breaking out of the cult known as The Message and uh, then fighting back against said cult and really bringing uh, the message to all these people who are stuck in it. Uh, he's got this uh, kind of underground railroad, which is, which is currently helping people escape from this extremely racist, uh, bullshit religion uh, cult uh, that he was unfortunately indoctrinated in when he was, you know, a child. He was born into the motherfucker. And it, it you know, when we recorded it, I didn't know what to think of that podcast, honestly, um, Dave. We we recorded it, and I thought, well, it's an interesting story. Uh, the first half of it, it was split up into basically two parts. I anchored almost completely the first half. You anchored almost completely the second half. First half was John Collins uh, and the message cult, and then the second half was the recap of WrestleMania, which you did a great job of. And I, it just seemed so bizarre to me. It didn't seem like a podcast that we normally would do. Uh, it wasn't a lot of back and forth because we had both so much to say on what we were talking about. Little did I know, 
when this this motherfucker came out that this would be listened to so so damn much and listened to with interest by the religious communities out there uh and and really getting their first insight into what this cult was all about and also what spawned jim jones and his ministries and uh john collins really became a hero of the dozens very quickly and we've had a lot rightfully so absolutely and we've had a lot of great um feedback just asking what's he up to what's he doing i love it it is we have gotten so much feedback on that one saying uh that they listened to that podcast multiple times that they didn't just listen once or twice but three or four times because they wanted to hear the story again and again and again about John Collins and visit his his sites and and all this. Well anyway, I'm I'm pretty sure it wasn't because of our WrestleMania coverage. Well, the WrestleMania coverage was good, but I mean, it it, it was what? a WWE event, so who gives a fuck? Uh, what is what was John's website again just for those that can check it out? Well, it's the Brandon it's uh the I believe it's the brandon.org or like organization. I can get the exact uh the exact uh, uh, um, link so that we can put it as a description uh, when we when we put this up. But uh, it, it got such a response of people wanting to know more about John that I just thought it was great. Anyway, I went to actually go visit John Collins. Got on his boat. We went out. We re, you know, I don't know. We re-embraced after years and our, you know, our, our families got together and it was such a wonderful day uh, being with him and just getting back in touch with your friend and that friendship. And then when we were out on the boat, he was talking to me and he said, I'm not sure you understand how much your, your podcast really reignited uh, this fire I have to, to help people and other people finding out about what I do outside the normal circles that I do it in, which is really the people who are inside the message and trying right. to break them out. He goes, you brought this, information to a wider uh, audience that normally I just did not reach quite frankly. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, of course it was, you know, we love talking about things that matter. And this is, this is a dumpster fire that had a good message behind it. No pun intended. And um, a hero and someone doing something at the end of the motherfucking day. And he, since he, this podcast came out, the um, you know, the cult of personality, he has been, he's done like eight, eight national interviews with some major uh, organizations. Um, and then also he got contacted by a Canadian production team uh, that's actually going to do a series, a television documentary series about this freaking cult, the, this, the, the message cult and John's story about how he's breaking people out. And John said, you know, everyone has cited you know, the, a lot of the podcasting that you guys have done, or at least made reference to it. He goes, you know, particularly in places that John used to live and be in the circles, of these religious communities, there were whole people around him that didn't understand the severity of the brainwashing he, that was occurring to him and the other people in this organization. So I just thought it was great uh, to tell everybody out there that, you know, John Collins is still doing this great work, but on top of that, people, you know, in, in the mainstream are now coming to him, you know, saying we want to carry the torch with you and help bring this message out and stop this uh, brainwashing, this, this Ku Klux Klan, you know, religious bullshit uh, that is, that's just completely. And that's in the, racism. that's in the literal sense. If, yes. For those of you out there who have not heard the previous episode, he, he, Jason is not speaking symbolically on that. That's quite literally uh, Ku Klux Klan related. Yeah. Uh, listen to that episode to get the full background on that, just so we don't have to like repeat the whole thing. But it's it's a fascinating story, and I think Jason, you told it very well. Yeah, well, it was something that needed told. But like I said, I just thought we kind of went out on a limb because I'm like, this seems weird because I'm talking about my childhood for like 30 minutes or some shit. And really, you know, it's it's um, just a chapter in my life. And all of a sudden, I found out this person was doing this monumental uh task and uh just unbelievable the the respect i have for this man is is just immense and, and he just happens to be one of my closest friends and so it's just a it's an amazing thing and i just want to throw that out there for everyone who wanted john collins update and and please keep looking him up you, i mean you could just google search the man he, he's pretty amazing so um but i'll keep you informed as to all the happenings and goings-ons of that but um also I did want to give a little bit of a more feedback 
than we normally get uh, for our last episode, which is Lab Leak or uh, something like that. And it's uh, basically we talked about the origin of cotton candy. Uh, Could it have come from the lab in Wuhan or was it naturally occurring in Wuhan? Coincidence? I think not. And uh, we did get a lot of feedback right away from that, Dave. I want to tell you on air, uh, but okay. it was it was very strange, actually, some of the feedback, because we got a, some of the dozens were coming back saying, I allowed, I was one of those people that allowed the media of last year's hatred against Donald Trump to basically influence me not even considering that the cotton candy might have been actually, you know, spun in a Wuhan lab. Uh, the, list, the listener was saying this about themselves, confirming. Confirming, yes, that's exactly okay. right. That they And some of them said, I actually feel guilty that I was so taken because I hate Donald Trump so much that I, that I absolutely, just because he said it probably came from a lab or at least the right-wing media was, I was like, fuck you, because everything was fuck you. I hated him that much. My hatred got in the way of any sort of you know, reasoning or even the possibility that uh, COVID-19 could have come from this lab in in Wuhan, China. And um, they said, but, you know, now that that's over, you're actually right. And these are different of dozens that, uh, that asked us even to cover it. So it was a very interesting subject. But here's a more interesting thing about it than, than I even knew. We obviously have listeners that fucking pay attention to the cast of characters that we bring up on this goddamn Muppet show we call One Day Closer to Dead. Because one of our uh, characters we we bring into the, the fold many times is uh, Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez. Many, many times we have referenced him as, you know, my friend, my doctor, uh, you know, all this good stuff. And um, he's he's actually part of the show. He's maybe one of the top dozens of all time. And uh, people were asking, well, what does Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez think? This came up multiple times. What is Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez thing? And because he's sort of like our in-house medical expert person guy. Can can he treat sunburns? I hope he can, but I really don't give a shit. He, he, he's, he's got other things to fucking treat. Can, can he treat skin cancer? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But the, the issue is that we had so many people come out and say it that even... Even Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez himself had sent me a text saying, I have a lot to say about your, your last episode. So I was like, well, this is good because people actually, I'm not, he doesn't know this, but people want to fucking hear from him. So then the week passed and I didn't receive anything from him at all. I'm like, well, what the fuck did you have to say? So then I, I texted him. I said, hey, you know, we're probably going to record tonight. Uh, it'd be good if you gave me some feedback on it, you know. I didn't tell him how many people wanted to hear it because his ego is already too large. And, um, and that's saying something coming from me. So he said, okay, I sent it. I go on Excite, you know, that one you guys know about, and it's not there. And so I just, of course it isn't. It's, it's not there. And I said, dude, it's, it's not here. And he takes me, he goes, I fucking said it. He sent me, he sent it at 5 PM. This is hours now that have gone by. And I just kept refreshing the fucking screen and going between Safari and, and Firefox. And finally, one of them on a refresh retrieved it. So we do have that that wonderful assessment by Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez tonight. And yes, listeners, yes, dozens, you will be able to hear this wonderful opinion of our in-house medical correspondent, Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez. Would you like me to read said correspondence, Dave? No, let's go on to our next subject of the week. <laughs> hey, I agree. He's a big fan of yours. He can't fucking stand me. So anyway, let's go on to Never set two. me up like that, Jason. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, here it is. <clears throat> it's, uh, it is entitled, Who Made the Cotton Candy? Dear Dave and Jason, I had the opportunity to think through your last podcast regarding the origins of our beloved cotton candy. I do think that you guys hit some very important points But there were several things that were said that I think need to be reconsidered. As a physician working on the front lines of this pandemic from the beginning, I was following what public health leaders like Dr. Anthony Fauci said very closely. There was no point where he ever said that COVID-19 could not have come from the lab. 
In fact, since February 2020, what he said was there was not evidence or not enough evidence that it did. He is exactly correct that the virus came from an area of the world where many times naturally occurring viruses transition from animals to humans. He was very careful to not overstate or understate things given that people watch his comments extremely closely and parse his words whether they are spoken or by email in 50,000 different ways. I will also say that this pandemic did become politicized, yes, but it was supercharged into a political sphere because of our former president. If you recall, he was being criticized for not doing enough from the beginning, while at the same time saying it was going to just be a handful of cases and disappear one day. Then when he did take it seriously, it was already getting to be too late, and he reversed course at the end of April trying to reopen everything and downplay the use of masks. For clear political reasons, he also wanted to squarely place the blame for the virus on the Chinese from the beginning. Although there can be a lot of room to criticize China's response and lack of transparency, he doubled, tripled, and quadrupled down by calling this the Chinese virus and the Kung flu. These highly racist and absolutely irresponsible comments have made it more difficult to find out where this virus could have come from. The Chinese have always been reluctant to share information and are not usually transparent even under normal circumstances. Due to Trump, they made robust investigations impossible because of the political implications. And this was, this was shooting out of his mouth all the time, all of this hateful racism. Could the virus have come from a lab? It is possible. There are some legit scientific explanations for why it's reasonable to consider that. There are also very valid scientific reasons to have doubts about this, too. The Biden administration knows that the investigation needs to be done and is moving forward with such efforts. However, Trump's insight that he gave about assigning this to China was more based on racism than it was based on facts. Like you guys said, even a broken clock can be correct twice a day. As for why this virus and its coverage became so politicized, I point the finger mostly at Trump. As you recall, he did not want to use masks for the longest time. He also had criticized the vaccine once he knew he was no longer going to be the beneficiary of its success. He has created enormous undue political chaos, which I think has clearly led to a slower than expected vaccine rollout and new outbreaks of cases over the past year and a half. I have other comments, but these are the quickest thoughts that came to my mind. I look forward to hearing more excellent podcast episodes down the line. A big hug for Dave, Eddie Gizmo Gomez. So that is the correspondence who made the cotton candy from our in-house correspondent, medical correspondent, Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, But that was actually feedback uh, from the dozens. They wanted to hear his thoughts uh, here on this show. So there you go. That is his thoughts. Well, thank you, Dr. Eddie, for taking the time to write said correspondence. Uh, if if we at one point do a follow-up, one question I would like to hear his thought on is uh, that was not addressed as of yet. Was the use of gain-of-function research and whether Fauci was being transparent or not in the usage of gain-of-function research? Because uh, I do think that plays a large role uh, one way or the other, whether it came from a lab or not, as far as uh, how the how the country was prepared for a pandemic or not prepared for a pandemic or possibly contributed to the spread of the pandemic. You know, it's, it's, it's still kind of verdicts out on that, but I'd be curious to hear his, his opinion on that particular side of it. And I do agree that Fauci never said, you know, clearly, Oh, it didn't come from, uh, it couldn't, it's impossible. It came from a lab. And I do not envy the public scrutiny that that man has been under for the last you know year and a half plus. But I do think he, it, it does appear to me, let me put it that way, that he has not as been, he has not been as transparent as I believe he should have been in what the other possibilities were. And that some of his public statements appear to have contradicted what he was being told or what he was telling other people behind the scenes. So I do think that there are questions there. Uh, but that's my, those are my two cents. Well, absolutely. The, you know, the issue is that, I do agree with, you know, obviously what Eddie's saying there. Uh, But to me, 
you know, and it's just true. I say this to his face. I'm not talking shit about him. I mean, I'm putting this all over the fucking world. You know, Eddie's definitely seeing end up and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's the poison you want to drink from, that's cool. And, but he, I asked him, I mean, specifically I said about, you know, basically the Fauci's, you know, possible uh, conflict of interest. He never even, that was not dealt with at all in that fucking email. And it's just true. It's, I think that we touched on a lot of things that the liberal media, liberal thinking people simply just don't want to go there. And you can see also in Edward's uh, message to us, uh, the name Trump came up, I mean, 60% of the time in that motherfucker. And I think we covered it very well. Like, yes, that man's a piece of shit. All right, let's put that on a shelf now. Okay. Yes. It made it hard because it came out as racism. Let's put that on a shelf now. Okay. We, we covered that actually last week, but I think it was more telling a lot of the dozens that came up and, and were saying it's embarrassing how much I was, I, as a person who hated Donald Trump, they're not saying that they're liberal. They're saying they hated Donald Trump, his policies, sure. his rhetoric, his racism, that that allowed, that infiltrated my mind to the point. I didn't even want to fucking think about this coming from a lab because it was something that he was leaning on. It was something a lot of his cohort minion, you know, MAGA assholes were, were leaning on as well. So I just got that out of my fucking head. Just I really appreciate the honesty of that self-reflection, honestly. Me too. Because the thing is, um, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to give the exact names because I wasn't given clearance on it. Because I always do try to ask, is it okay sure. if I use this, if okay if I use that? But there were some people that straight up said they had members of their family... Uh, and this was, and they're liberal members of the family. They were people who fucking hated Donald Trump would immediately last year was going, that came from that fucking lab. That came from that lab. People in the medical community were saying that came from that fucking lab. There's, there's just no way there's too much evidence. There's, you know, they actually call the lady that was researching the shit, the bat lady. And there's, and then China's like, well, we don't even use bats in there. Get the fuck out of here. So the thing is that they said, it, it's now embarrassing to think that I thought my relatives had lost their fucking minds. It was just, they were willing to go, I hate this man, but it's not racist to think that this possibly could have come out of this lab. We're not saying that it was done voluntarily. We're saying there's a lot of fucking, you know, you might not win the grand lawsuit, but you, you know, you might win a civil lawsuit here. I mean, there's something like there's enough evidence where there should be magnifying glasses on this idea. Um, I'm not disregarding what Edward wrote us at all, but it's very, you know, in my opinions, Sanjay gooped it up there and I just, that's fine. People wanted to hear what he had to say. So I'm going to always, I'm always going to give the listeners whatever the fuck they want to hear. I just happen to, you know, think opposite really. And the fact that he didn't really cover, uh, Fauci's conflict of interest in this funding of this, uh, this research that you talked uh, extensively about. Uh, last week is also very, very interesting. I love debating this shit with people I respect. I respect the fuck out of Edward, uh, as I do you. But, you know, that email, as as awesome as it was that he responded and gave us his little two cents, I don't think it covered... I think it covered very well what people already were saying on the liberal side that just hated Donald Trump. No wonder he doesn't like you as much, Jason. Well, he should have said big hugs for fucking Jason. That's the part that pissed me off. <laughs> but you have a sunburn, so if he gave you a big hug, that would just hurt you right now. Well, maybe so he, he could slather me. For, to he eat. was looking out for your. No, well fuck interest. that. He could slather me down with some aloe vera. So, uh, you ready to talk about some new dumpster fires, Jason? Yes, let's do that. Because the world is a dumpster fire, Jason. Did you know that? I certainly fucking did. Did you know why? Because it certainly fucking is. Because it truly fucking is, Jason. Get it right. Yeah, it's your line, dude. And, no, it's your fucking and line. You this do it. week, this week, shut up. This week, uh, let's talk about something near and dear to my heart, Jason. I know you are very passionate about as well, video games. I love video games, Jason. That's not a secret. Uh, with the exception of Chewbacca from Battlefront 2, he can go die in a fire. But well, he's uh, coming to rape you one day, pal. Don't worry anything about else? Anything else video game related, uh, I am generally a fan of. However, I am not a fan of the video game industry, which, I mean, as sleazy as we know Hollywood can be, the video game industry, I think, is every bit as bad, if not potentially worse, because it tends to fly under the radar quite a bit more as far as the mass media goes. 
shit doesn't get covered as much. So what am I talking about? Well, it's not a particular subject. It's actually multiple things that I will bring up. And then, Jason, I will have you give your your thoughts on it. Uh, the first is anybody who has played a video game of any note within the last, let's say, 10 years has probably noticed this little thing called microtransactions. Monetization, where games that you pay full price for, let's say, assuming you, you bought it when it came out, 60 or now like $70, will have these additional purchases available in them for in-game currency or whatever to then buy cosmetics or buy, you know, unlockables or, you know, buy whatever. And uh, some of the more egregious offenders of this are sports titles. Uh, EA is particularly known for this, for uh, for their FIFA franchise, uh, for their NFL franchise. Um you know, they, they stuff these games that have a rating of, um, you know, E for everyone in the United States, meaning these titles are perfectly acceptable for children. And then you have kids playing these games and the parents don't realize that the kids can just click a couple buttons. And if their bank account's hooked up to this thing, which it frequently is, if it's through, you know, Google Play or through, you know, the Xbox store or whatever, you have kids ringing up thousands of dollars in these fucking transactions that are then non-refundable most of the time. And the video game companies are just like, oh, well, you know, we said that you really should use parental controls or whatever on a game that's rated E for everybody. Uh, This has become such a major issue that other countries throughout the world have been doing investigations to decide whether these games should be classified as gambling of which Belgium actually came down on that side. So now uh, microtransactions and loot boxes are illegal in Belgium. So if you play a game in Belgium, games that have microtransactions elsewhere in the world cannot have them in Belgium. Now England is currently examining said issue, and if England goes that way, that's a much bigger deal for like EA and Activision and all these other companies because uh, England is a much bigger market than Belgium is Belgium. They can, they lose a little bit, but if they start losing England and, and especially if they start losing like Japan or whatever, like fucking game over, no pun intended. So that's one that I, as a father, Jason would love to get your perspective on momentarily. Also, we're coming out of a pandemic during said pandemic, as well as in the, the run up to it. And, and then in the aftermath, uh, as an example, Activision Blizzard laid off uh, close to 200 employees They did this during a time where they made absolutely record profits. And then the CEO, Bobby Kotick, his uh, contract shit kicked in where it's like, well, if the stock stays up over a certain price for like over 90 days, dude gets a $200 million bonus right after laying off 200 people. If every one of those people made over a million dollars a year, which let's be frank, that's not the case, he still could have saved everybody's job just by giving up the bonus. But did that happen? Of course not. And then Ubisoft, along with other companies, uh, Ubisoft is just one of the most prominent right now. Um, There's been exposés that have come out on them where they have executives at their company, creative directors and the like, that have been hit with multiple allegations of horrific sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse of employees. But because the games that they work on turn profit, and, and they're friends with the higher-ups in the company, the company just turns the other way. Now, they've started to give lip service to changing uh, changing the way the company runs and all of this type of shit. But in the follow-up, nothing has changed. Uh, you know, as far as surveys among employees and stuff, they're like, no, it's as toxic now as it ever as it ever was. There's also a concept called crunch. And I'm covering a lot of stuff in a short period of time just because there's a lot of shit to cover, so fuck it. There's a period of called crunch, which the game industry is notorious for, where if a game is scheduled to do, be due out soon, they, they do not want to postpone that game. So they will make those workers put in 18-hour days, 19-hour days, six-day weeks, seven-day weeks, just putting in all of their fucking time. And they try to say, oh, well, it's voluntary. No, it is not fucking voluntary. It's voluntary only in semantics only. Uh, to force these games out the door... And then at the same time, like, um, uh, shit, the, the company that made Gearbox that made Borderlands 3, which was a big success, their CEO then told the employees, oh, well, those, uh, those bonuses that you were supposed to get, now nah, you, you probably won't get them. We just didn't hit these financial goals and blah, 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 blah. Like, across the board, you have all of these developers and all of these QA testers and all of these people industry-wide that are underpaid, 
overworked, abused in their work environment, and then could get laid off at any time while these executives are raking in hundreds of millions of dollars a year in bonuses in some cases and are stuffing their games full of these microtransactions that take advantage of frequently kids or sometimes mentally underdeveloped people or, or people that have gambling addictions and just don't have the discipline to keep track of these types of purchases. And then now that uh, the Xbox um, Series X and the PlayStation 5 are out, they're now using that as a justification to raise the price of, of a lot of games to $70 instead of $60 to, to cover the cost of development, when in fact they're making more money than they ever have with less overhead than they have ever had. So industry-wide, I just think this whole fucking industry needs to be hit by a goddamn bus. Uh, so Jason, those are, those are my thoughts. Um, what are your thoughts? And I know you don't follow gaming as closely, but especially on the microtransaction front yeah. as a father, can you imagine? Cause it's completely possible. I don't know how your PlayStation account's set up, but you know, if, if, um, you know, if your son, if James was playing, you know, FIFA or some other thing, and all of a sudden you got hit with like a $500 or a $5,000 bill on your credit card. Like, that's not outside the realm of possibility. No, it's not. It, it's a thing where you say you, you hope the entire industry gets hit by a fucking bus. Now I'm thinking about Frogger. But nevertheless... <laughs> uh, Good reference. Thank you very much. But uh, nevertheless... Because um, childhood is dead, Jason. This covers both of those topics. <laughs> exactly, man. Frogger's dead. Qbert's dead. It's all dead. Um, the, the, the issue is that, no, I am not a gamer, uh, and I'm not you know into video games and things like that. But... I can tell you James has already started and he's six years old and he's got his iPad that he plays all these different games. Now, um, probably a year and a half, maybe two years ago. So he would have been about four and a half. He, he did start asking, can I buy this? Can I buy this? And it was either a game or it was something inside the game. And, you know, I'm just like, no. Everything's no. I'm the house of no with buying any fucking thing most of the time, all the time. So I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not buying you something inside that game. You're too little to even know what the fuck you're doing. I don't have anything hooked up to my bank account. Um, and I, I think his mom will buy him some stuff every once in a while. Um, and that's her prerogative, whatever. I'm not buying him a fucking thing. Um, and the issue is that I, about probably... Two months ago, maybe it was a month ago, I did see an article sort of covering this, uh, whatever you call it, microtransactions is what you call microtransactions it. Microtransactions or game monetization. Yeah. There you go. And I saw it on uh, NBC covered it. And they said that, you know, kids are cleaning out their fucking parents' bank account without their parents knowing what the fuck's going on until they see their bank out there. What the fuck is this? And it's buying just stupid shit through, you know, computer games. and Loot boxes are a big one. Yeah, and I guess, um, I don't, what's that one called that the kids like? Roblox? Something. And, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and, they're, and you're able to buy tons of shit there where I think kids can create their own games inside Roblox, then sell said game or something. And they, they, they said that there's a form of peer pressure cyberbullying happen where you can play with other, other people and the kids are pretty much, you know, peer pressure bullying, you know, pressuring the other children to buy this shit or to buy uh, stuff for them. They're actually... Fortnite. Fortnite had that issue as well with uh, cosmetics because if you're playing with the basic cosmetics, like I, I don't play Fortnite personally, but I play Apex Legends, which is a similar genre. <laughs> and I guess the and I sorry to cut you off, Jason, but I do love doing it. So um, the so if you're playing with like the base skins, because Fortnite is free to play off the bat as far as the battle royal mode. So if you're playing with the base skins that the game comes with, kids are bullying other kids for that. Like, well, that means you're poor and blah, 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 blah. So then there's a societal pressure to buy one of these more exclusive skins or whatever that can cost like $20 or whatever yeah. the fuck. Well, they were saying that they were telling kids, well, I'm not going to be your friend or I'm not going to play on your team if you don't buy me said gun or this or, or that. And, you know, a kid that's, you know, maybe nine years old or something will do that because they want to fit in in the game 
And money to them is just something that's, you know, mom has it and I'm going to fucking buy this thing with it. And uh, so I saw that and I did see the problem with a lot of parents just being like, this is fucking clearing out my bank account. So when I looked at that, I was like, boy, this is a fucking problem. And it's one of those things where it's like a future shock issue that even I'd say 10, 15 years ago, I don't even think this would have crossed my mind or a lot of people's mind that this would be a thing, but it is definitely a fucking thing. And, uh, it bothers me to the point that, you know, James is playing, but I have to monitor so much. I don't just monitor cause he's not connected to any financial, anything on my fucking end, but I do monitor what he's doing like intensely on Could. online about, and it's not just for anything that would just be harmful to a child to watch or play, but it's, it's also that kind of stuff. You know, I don't want him connected to anybody that can fucking cyber bully him into maybe, you know, buying him something or, or, or not. Devil's advocate. Could he be hooked up to some financial information if he was playing a game on his mother's phone? Oh, I'm positive. Sure. I'm sure there's something like that. But like I said, you know, when you're divorced, you're just kind of like, Hey, it's on you and I'm sure, on me. I but, understand but that. I'm just saying for, I imagine for conversation so, sake. I imagine so Dave, but the, the issue is that I think that parents are really, uh, and I'm not, I think that your dissertation on the gaming industry being fucked is absolutely warranted. Uh, but there also has to be a parents need to know whether it's fair or not or whatever, this is the new age of fucking parenting. And you have to, it's almost like society has made us need to be helicopter parents because you're just like, this is, oh, this totally. is a new thing that I have to fucking be so goddamn vigilant about. It used to just be, don't watch too much TV. Now it's don't stay on the, the internet too long. And what are you doing on the internet? Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to through that? What app are you on? Like, he's like, Jesus fucking Christ. You really do long for the days where you just kicked your kid out of the house and you know they just played with the local hooligans down the street it just it's absolutely insane but it's also the reason that that whole thing with i don't know what's it called the echo or whatever the hell it is whatever is connected to amazon the uh, amazon smart speaker because uh, that's what the echo is whatever whatever connected to the alexa or, or whatever it is where you can say, hey, Alexa, do this. Hey, Alexa, do that. And if you had an account with, you know, uh, Amazon Prime, you could legitimately say, and you probably still can unless they've put some kibosh on this where you're like, hey, Alexa, uh, buy me, you know, this jacket. And they're like, you still can, I believe. Jacket's yeah. on its way. And it dis- it, it's already got your account information. So it buys the motherfucker. Well, what was happening is kids in the house were saying, hey, Alexa, buy me Lucky Charms. And then there would be a box of fucking Lucky Charms show up the next day or yep. whatever they wanted or a new bicycle or because Alexa's, you know, just doing what you told it to fucking do. So I don't know how they solved that, but it was a form of that where the kids are just, you know, the world is at their fucking command. And unfortunately, their bank, their, their parents' bank account is fucking too. And here's a, a bigger issue, in my opinion, as old man Bailey, okay? And it's totally going to come off as a fucking old man rant, but fuck it. This is how it goes. Um, I think Ted Kaczynski was right about just about everything except blowing people up. It's gotten to the point where technology to me is honestly as as great a blessing as it is. We certainly couldn't do this podcast without it or know a lot of information that we now know. Oh, said like how John Collins discovered the the fucking cult business there, okay? But it's there's a real fucking problem here with how human development is now occurring. When you've got children as young as my son who are being pressured by the game and other people playing said game to buy certain things with money that they just think is like magic. I mean, how many kids, when we were little, told mom, I want this. She said, I don't have it. And they're like, write a check. We don't know the value of fucking money when we're kids. So we don't Clar- give a shit. Clarify on, clarify on something else just to elaborate on that point, Jason. Also, the way they get around that, meaning the gaming industry, is it's huh. very rare that you actually, for example, buy a skin in, I don't know, Fortnite or Roblox or whatever the fuck, you know, $20 and you're 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 cashing out $20. It doesn't normally work that way. They purposely create distance by saying, "No, it costs 300 virtual currency 
and you have to buy the virtual currency and then use the virtual currency to buy the in-game item. And that's how they justify like, oh, well, there's no actual monetary value being exchanged here. That's why it's not gambling. So just for those that aren't aware, that's how they get around that in, uh, in the semantics of it. Yeah, well, that's uh, digital money laundering, in my opinion. It's just virtual exactly money laundering. Fuck you. That's all that is. But they know it's it's a form of, uh, in my opinion, child abuse. And here's the deal is that when you've got children who are being taught this at such a young age, uh, I think you referenced maybe Belgium or whatever, uh, um, they're absolutely right. It is It is making young people gamblers. It's turning them into a gambling mindset that this gives me pleasure. It gives me pleasure now. I want to do it. I will spend money, even small amounts, and just keep this fucking rolling. So we're basically taking this young generation of people and turning them into future gambling problem, gambling addicts, people. And I I also think that's the same thing with porn addiction. I think that gambling addiction and porn addiction have skyrocketed because of the fucking internet. These are similar, similar mechanisms in the brain, certainly. Yes. And I I really think that having the box at home, keep you, you're able to just buy things right away is going to affect the young more than the adults, because we've already been through this. Now, certainly there's plenty of adults with gambling addictions, plenty of adults with porn addiction. And this is something that we have to deal with because of the internet and our own impulses and a bevy of fucking reasons, genetics being, you know, a big part of it, but never before has children, young, young human beings been exposed to this amount of pre gambling and basically uh, porn as sex education online. There's no escape from it. Now there's no fucking escape. You go from being born to basically being a young adult to an adult within a matter of hmm, 10 years, within a matter of 10 years, when you and I were so always say, um, you know, childhood is dead. We're talking, you know, as kind of a funny reference to we're old and we miss the old days, but it's just not there anymore. I would, you know, absolutely like to make the case that childhood really is dead. This stage of human development has ceased to exist. And the primary reason, in my opinion, the old man Bailey fucking rant here is technology. It's the fucking internet because it created the opportunity for, you know, shithead corporations to really, really capitalize on young people to where they don't even know this is an issue. They have no, the only morality meter they have is what they're being fucking taught. Okay. So this, this issue that you're bringing up is, is near and dear to my heart as a parent. And I know there are tons of people our age that listen to this and many with, with children. And it's very strange that this is something that our generation is going to have to fucking deal with that previous ones may have had to deal with on some level, but certainly this is a brand new concept just because the technology is now available to make this a fucking issue. But these corporations, uh, to put a, a nice bow on this, uh, shit sandwich is to, we do need more regulation. There needs to be more parental controls. And if there's any games that you are allowed to buy shit with, there probably should be some sort of limitations onto either the age or some sort of mechanism that allows whoever's bank account is being accessed to pop up and then accept it or not accept it, the the parents themselves. So these are things that need developed before it gets any worse than it already is. I think anything that has microtransactions in it uh, should have a mature rating um, or, you know, teenage, in the very least teen, uh, teens it up. I don't think anything where you can buy loot boxes using virtual currency or whatever, however the fuck they try to distance it. I don't think anything that has uh, those types of gambling mechanics in it should be listed E for everybody. I think that's incredibly unethical. And I think that the ratings board has just been in the pocket of the video game executives. And that is, you know, they're all just making a fuck ton of money off of it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And then also... To some of the other stuff that we talked about, um, just so it's not we're not solely talking about the microtransaction side of things, is Jason, can you imagine you work for a, a fairly large restaurant chain? Can you imagine if you and 200 of your coworkers got laid off during the pandemic and then you found out that the CEO was getting a $200 million bonus? Like, yeah. I can't imagine the rage that I would feel if I was one of those people. Well, the thing is that that's, that's, 
I, I don't know what to say. It's unethical. It's really just shitty. You're just a shit bag CEO and a, and a company that allows that. The, the company I'm with, and I'm not going to say the name of it, but the company I'm with, the CEOs and the head honchos of, of the, the company themselves, for they, they did not even have any bonus at all through COVID for the last year and a half, two years. They just said, this is not right. We're in a downturn and people are suffering. We're not, we're not even going to take a fucking bonus. And that is in most ethical or above board companies, what a lot of CEOs should do are a, a lot of, you know, all of your, your top executives in a company should do because it, you know, you got to in some capacity suffer altogether. And you are definitely as an executive, not suffering like the bottom of the fucking pyramid. You're just not. So for these, these corporations to do that in the gaming industry and the ones that you cited specifically, uh, you know, it's fucked up. It's absolutely fucked up and it should not be allowed. So fuck you, Andrew Wilson at EA and fuck you, Bobby Kotick at, uh, Activism Blizzard. And uh, all the rest of you out there, I'll, I'll throw in, um, what the fuck's his name? The dude from Gearbox. Uh, he, he seems like a, a sleazy scumbag. I can't remember. Randy, Randy Pitchford. He, he seems like a shithead, too. Look him up if you want some entertaining dumpster fire on your off time. Uh, so anyway, uh, to, put a, to put a kind of a, a final bow on it, the, you know, I made a, a vague uh, comparison to Hollywood and the entertainment because the video game industry is like pretty, pretty much the biggest cog money wise in the entertainment industry today. You know, you can have the biggest fucking, you know, movie on the planet avatar two or whatever, when that finally comes out, whatever it is, you know, it's not making the same amount of money that say red dead redemption two did in its first week of release. Um, so, I think that flies under the radar again from a mainstream standpoint. And I think that allows bad behavior to propagate a lot more. Now, for example, in Hollywood, you did have, um, you know, the speaking out movement and, and, you know, times up and, and things that led to the downfall of Harvey Weinstein and, and Bill Cosby way, way past fucking due. And there's still a long goddamn way to go. But that was also assisted by the fact that some of the people that were negatively affected had some sort of celebrity name value. You don't hear in Hollywood a lot about the crew members that are getting abused because they're less likely to speak out because they don't have a celebrity status to protect them. They don't have the sunlight of the media to protect them from backlash. Same in the video game industry where you have all of these abusive practices going on either with crunch or with sexual harassment or sexual abuse or physical abuse or whatever it is. And they don't have really um, a voice for them because you don't, outside of you know Hideo Kojima, you don't really have too many celebrity video game designers or video game programmers. So there are people that are really low on the totem pole that have nowhere to go if they want to continue working in that industry. And so I just think the, you know, they always say sunlight is the best disinfectant. I really think that entire industry and Hollywood still needs it as well. Uh, there needs to be a lot more disinfectant that goes around. Absolutely. You're right. It's one of those things where I think it's overlooked by a lot of people because every industry needs their ass kicked, I think, at least once to straighten up this kind of, you know, very, very poor behavior and labor practices. You know, I'm looking at you, WWE, uh, and because there's just a lot of mainstream stuff that they don't ever consider these other things. And you're right, the video game industry it's fucking huge. It's only getting bigger and badder. And, you know, you talk to the, the, the average 18 to 30 year old, they're totally into gaming. That's what they talk about at, at work, at school. You know, I mean, just at my job, I have seen people get into shit talking fucking arguments. Okay. About stuff unrelated to, let's say gaming or anything. Okay. I mean, they're, they're talking shit and it seems like, you know, they're getting ready to fucking fight sometimes. And then they'll challenge each other to a fucking video game. Like, this is, <laughs> this is how they're going to solve this fucking problem. You I mean, at, hey, it's more constructive than no, throwing hands. Absolutely. And, and they're like, the, the deal is like, if you used to look at someone's girls like, hey, fuck bag, and the shit was on. Now it's, I'll see you tonight at this time. This is the platform, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not even making this up. And I was just like, what is going on? And this is how a lot of people, you know, Toxic masculinity just seeped into the fucking gaming community where they they sell they solved their oh, problems. Oh, it was there from the beginning. But the the issue is that that is that shows the absolute domination 
of gaming inside our culture and it's only taking grass harder and 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 their clutch is getting stronger around the youth of this world they're just being born into it at this point like it's nothing they have to learn watching james play let's say minecraft i've seen him play it i can't even fucking believe it how fast his fingers fucking move and create like roller coasters and all sorts of shit i'm just like oh my god it's unbelievable and it's just it's interesting that that is you know under the radar of a lot of people that should be looking directly at it. And the minute something becomes that powerful that no one's really thinking about in mainstream for whatever reason, uh, you're going to have labor practices that need to be investigated. And that certainly is one of them. Last thing I'll say, and it's a bit of a sidebar, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up this element of it. Another one of our best listened to episodes, Jason, and you know more about the statistics on it than I am, is where we talked about the importance of physical media in a digital world. Um, I, off the top of my head, do you remember what the title of that one was? I, I, oh, you don't own your content. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, you don't own your content. So one thing you said at the time, which always stuck with me, was that you thought that once video games transitioned entirely to digital, that that would really play a, a big role in the end of physical media as a whole. Uh, now, an interesting thing about that that I'll just fit into here because it kind of just plays into how the industry operates is now the current generation of video major video game consoles, the, the PS5 and the Xbox Series X specifically, those do have disk drives still, so you can use physical disks in them. However, they both also have digital versions that do not have disk drives and are digital only that are a little bit cheaper. But what's interesting also is that's even not necessarily enough because so many games come out in a, either a broken state or they just get patched significantly after release. Even if you have the physical copy of a game and you put it into the disk drive of your system, unless you are connected to the internet and unless it has access to these updates that have come out since the game released, you will probably be playing a broken mess of a game. And so even having the physical copy of a game doesn't mean that you actually have the game because a lot of these games now come out with like 20, 30 gigabyte day one patches on them. And if you're not connected to the internet, you just pop the disc in, you're, you're not playing that game, at least not the way it was meant to be played. So even then, physical media is not necessarily enough. And you do have games that are now no longer able to be paid, played because they've been pulled from from storefronts and the updates have been taken off and, and whatnot. Well, it's absolutely. And we covered it very well, very well to the point. Um, speaking again of one of our listeners, the, the, the great Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez, he, uh, his son was wearing a, a shirt they got him, which uh, ne it said, never forget. And it was pictures of like, tape cassettes and CDs and like hard drives, floppy disks, things like that, and saying that he supported his favorite niche podcast through that. But um, it is true. I mean, Joe Baca just uh, texted me a couple days ago and said, you know, basically he got hellboyed. He went to look for on his iTunes. It's probably me. Yes, the one that you like with Clapton on there and Sting uh, with the Zippos. And uh, it's a weapon three, baby. It, it's gone. He goes, all of it's gone. Everything from Lethal Web 3 has been taken down. He said, well, at least I have the CD somewhere. So, you know, collect your physical media, but it's absolutely true. Once the gaming industry says, fuck this, you're not buying discs anymore. It's all going to be, you know, online. There's not going to be any CD drives or whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, that's it. I don't think you're going to not only have to collect physical media, you're going to have to collect something and that's an antique that plays said physical media. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and fucking worse to where these, these companies that have digitized everything will own your sorry ass. If you want to participate in any fucking media at all. So Jason, where could the dozens notify us if they have any thoughts on anything that we have talked about thus far in this fantastic show? <clears throat> you can always reach us at this Little known email address that if you send something to us at 5 p.m., it might get to us at 11 p.m., maybe, somehow. Known the next as, week. No, <laughs> known as Ask Dave and Jason at Excite.com. Because, well, goddammit, it's exciting. So let's finish up with the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, Jason. 
Let's do it. Are we talking about me? No. Okay. Not even remotely. Oh, not right even then, for a, no. not even for a second. All right then. Well, like not even a, a minuscule second of a second. That must be my other podcast. Oh, actually, that's the other thing. That's my webcam. Okay, go ahead. What? Uh, so A and E recently did uh, a documentary, as they have done many that we have discussed on this show, that we haven't covered all of them, uh, on Brett the Hitman Hart. Now, I actually have not watched this yet, but I had heard that it was the best one that A&E had done. Now, I'm very, very biased towards the Piper one as, as just being fantastic, um, and I'm very happy with how that one turned out. But I had told you, uh, I believe last week, hey, I'm hearing that this Brett one was, like, the best one out of the entire series. Like, it's worth checking out. Um, and I have not checked it out myself yet, uh, mm. because, of course, but you have, Jason. So, uh, what are your thoughts on the Bret Hart documentary and... Is the hype justified? Okay, so I watched it, and this one was definitely, I think, the ones I was just absolutely looking forward to. Now I have seen all of them. It was Stone Cold. It was Roddy Piper. It was Randy Savage and now Bret Hart. These are the ones that I absolutely could not miss. I had to see them. And uh, I did watch it today because I knew we were going to discuss it. And... Um, there's a few things I want to say. First of all, and I don't want this to detour anybody, but um, it is, I do not think it's the best one they did. I, I think Roddy Piper's is head and shoulders above all the rest of the, the A&E stuff that I've seen <clears throat> thus far. I mean, I haven't seen the Shawn Michaels one and, 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 and that, but I did. See I have it. seen, I have seen the majority of the Shawn Michaels one. I haven't finished it yet. And you know, I, I have such a bias towards Roddy that I can't fairly compare the two documentaries, but I will say that the Shawn Michaels one is excellent. Yeah, well, that's what I hear too, and I, I definitely want to see it. I saw the Ultimate Warrior one. You know, I've seen most of them. Haven't seen that one. Yeah, I, but anyway, it it definitely, in my opinion, is not as good as the Roddy one at all. Um, Roddy's is just an amazing legacy that uh, because his family was so heavily involved in, in the footage of his past that's never really been shown that much before. Uh, it was just done very, very well, even with the WWE spin on it. Uh, I thought it was balanced, and it was it was good. It was excellent, actually. And there's tons of supplemental shit on, that A&E did with that that never made it on air that you could see on YouTube. And that stuff's great, too. So anyway, and this is not because Roddy's my favorite person of all time. I just think they did. That's the best one to watch. Okay. Now, Bret Hart. I think we all know that I love Bret the Hitman Hart, that he's, you know, in my top five wrestlers that I absolutely just covet. I love him. I think he's he's a, he's a wonderful wrestler, and I love his story. He, okay, He is not a four out of ten. No. No, he's a ten out of ten in Jason's book. And uh, so I watched it, watched the whole thing, and it's fairly pedestrian the documentary i would say is about of not a four out of ten but maybe a maybe a five out of ten or six out of ten it's certainly not the best thing that they ever did on bret hart the parts i can say are very good and this is good honestly is the last maybe 15 minutes of the entire thing and it's about an hour and a half long without commercials so about the last 15 minutes which is his post um, where basically where Goldberg sort of retires him with the mule kick, that stuff is good because there's a lot of good interviews with his first wife, Julie on there and family members, his current wife, his kids are all grown up now from, if you saw them in, you know, wrestling with shadows and things of this nature, that's some good shit. And even the, even the credit roll at the end was done very well because they pulled out an archived, uh, interview that it sounds like Jim Ross is throwing out questions and um, Brett's answering them. And it's, it's like electrifying, like the way he talks about wrestling and himself is just, it'll give you fucking goosebumps. And that's why the fucking credits are rolling. So the last 15 minutes are stellar. It's a nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. Good, good shit. And I'm not making that up because he talks a lot about his bitterness and how he had to put that to bed, and how he conducted his life after his divorce, and after the Montreal screw job, and parts we just haven't seen. Everything else inside that documentary, in my opinion, and I, of course I'm always right, has been done better in previous things. Now, that was my concern when I heard Brett was going to be a subject. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, but here's, the, here's also the issue, is that 
it's not it's not a Randy Savage thing. It's not a hit piece. It's not like really right. shitty. Um, they do a good job. And for those of you that would like a recap on the excellence of execution and how fucking good Bret Hart really is, it is a phenomenal thing to watch. It's a nice Cliff's Notes, Reader's Digest, quick version of he started here. He wound up here. This happened to him. This is how he's doing today. They hit the finer points. Vince McMahon is in there, gives his you know two cents. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff. Dave Meltzer's heavily covered in it, which is odd because Dave Meltzer fucking hates Vince McMahon. I can't believe he was given the okay to be in this motherfucker. Uh, I looked up the director. It's not the, it's not Paul J. Uh, he's not part of this at all, but my favorite documentary, the, my favorite wrestling, anything, uh, that's been documented is, um, Hitman Heart wrestling with shadows by Paul directed by Paul J also of a Canadian production team also produced by A&E back in the day and night came out in 1998, uh, November of 1998, I believe it is still my favorite fucking thing that's ever been done. And it's so prevalent to Bret Hart's own personal history. They could not make this documentary without referencing that documentary. They were, yeah. they had to reference it greatly during the part where they start talking about the Montreal screw job because Vince was put in a corner because of that documentary. He's on a hot mic line to Brett about what's pretty much going to happen. And they use it in this documentary. And I think so many years have gone by that Vince is like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, of course I lied. I had to do it. Whatever. I mean, he just can't get out of what he did. And the thing is that they reference it so fucking well that it gives me, even right now, it gives me goosebumps thinking about that documentary. Because they show footage of that documentary in the Shawn Michaels A&E documentary. Absolutely. For reasons. It's part of fucking Shawn Michaels history too. And Shawn Michaels is in it and that's good stuff. So I can recommend this. I can absolutely recommend this documentary, but I can honestly say, and this is not because Roddy is the greatest thing that ever happened to the planet earth is it's not be it's Roddy's has got a better documentary from A&E. That's been the best one that's been done. Uh, there, there was just a lot of reverence and, and it was conducted well and it was just a good uh, piece. Now, I want to say this separately from that, and I'll get off this subject real quick because I know you want to say some stuff here on this, Dave, but Bret Hart, uh, watching him in this documentary just gives me electricity, just goosebumps, and it's a weird thing. I don't know if you have the same feelings about your band that you listen to or your favorite bands, your favorite TV shows, whatever dozens, but with my top five to ten wrestlers, something weird has happened with me where I know they're great and I know where I rank them in my head. But there's something about legacy. And as years go on, at least I look at the wrestlers different from either information that's come out or I'm growing older and I think about things differently. Kind of like you can read a book again and again through your life, but you get something different from it every time because of you. Because you have fucking changed, okay? That's how I feel about Bret Hart. I would say that Bret was probably number four or five of my top five wrestlers of all time. But I can honestly say this motherfucker's climbing. Like, as when I watch his shit going back now, and I see him, I'm like, well, he's up there in Roddy levels now. Like, he's really starting to become my number one. He's right up there. I enjoy him much more than Ric Flair now. I enjoy his legacy, his story, what he had to do to become the hitman. And it's just, this is a nice little chapter to remind you, holy shit, it's like a our wrestling's version of Rocky Balboa and how he, every time that he was going to get cut from WWE or not get the push he wanted, he really had to self-design a, a, another rung on the ladder to get himself to the next fucking level. And when Vince purchased Stampede Wrestling, here came Brett with it. I'm sure he just was like, well, it's a favor to Stu, whatever. It's part of the, you know, this is, he comes along with it. And I know for a fact, because Vince has said, I'm sure he never fucking thought that Brett was going to be who Brett the Hitman Hart would become. And he's just no a, such a fucking special man, such a special wrestler. And, and I'm telling you something, Jim Ross says something in this documentary. It's fucking goosebumps, dude. Where he goes, let me tell you something about Bret Hart. He never looked at any of those championship belts like they were a prop. Not one. He looked at it like he deserved it. 
He had to honor it. He was the best in the business that he deserved respect and he was not going to let the fans or the company down. And it's just like, oh, that's the shit I love to hear. Like, I'm telling you, Bret Hart looked at like he just won the Academy Award and now he's got to go make another Godfather movie. That's how that's how serious he took that fucking business. And it just it, that's something that's just the pride that he put into himself and his profession. I just I can't say enough good things about Bret the Hitman Hart. Uh, have you seen, cause I haven't watched this one yet either, but I've, I, I purchased a couple of them through Amazon, uh, Sean Michaels being one, Brad Hart being one. And then this other one that I haven't watched yet either. Have you seen Mick Foley's? I've I heard that's outstanding. I have not. I want to see Mick's. I definitely want to see Sean Michaels too eventually, but yeah, I want to see Mick's for sure. Okay. Cause I've, I've also heard that one's very good, but we, so we can't compare those two no, at least yet. yet. Okay. Mm-mm. Uh, any further thoughts? And then we are out of here for this week, Jason. Absolutely. Well, I, I do want to tell all you guys to check that documentary out, please. If you, if you just need a refresher course on how good Brett was, it also goes into Owen Hart quite a bit too. And that's something special, but also check out wrestling with shadows. You can find it. It's awesome. Best documentary of all time. And, uh, I want to get this right before we got off the air. If you want to follow up on John Collins, or you want to, um, kind of reinvestigate his research into what he does, please visit William dash branham.org and that's william dash branham b-r-a-n-h-a-m dot org okay william dash branham.org is his site where he is saving so many people from this horrendous cult please check it out and guys thank you so very much for listening we appreciate each and every one of you dozens All right, and uh, be sure to drop us a line with uh, any thoughts about the video game industry or about cotton candy or anything else that we have talked about this week, and we will be back. So uh, thanks for another episode, Jason. Thank you, sir. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing how you're peeling like a snake in a week from now, because I'm (laughs) sure that's coming. I'll text you pictures. Don't worry. Yeah, just send Joe Baca your your skin in the mail, just because that's creepy and for some reason, it just made me laugh. What? So anyway, uh, on that note, I am Dave Beaudry. And I'm still your Jason Bailey. And we are one day closer to dead, hopefully not from skin cancer, but that day is not and will not be today. So until next week, ladies, gents, and everything in between. Bye.